Hi, everyone, and welcome to the News Agent podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Senior Content Executive at Good Lord, and today I'm joined by the one and only Christopher Watkin. Thanks very much for joining me today, Chris. It's a pleasure, Susie. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you very much. Um, now, today we're going to be leaning into Chris's expertise, uh, looking at the impact of inflation on the property sector, specifically on the impact that it's having on landlords, whether that's positive or negative. Um, and then we'll be taking a look at how agents can obviously continue to uh, work to attract those landlords. Uh, but first of all, Chris, I can't imagine there are many in the industry that don't know who you are. But if you could uh, kick us off, perhaps just by telling us a little bit about yourself, a bit about your expertise and background, that'd be great. Uh, so yeah, my name's Chris Watkin. Um, I uh, I help letting agents attract landlords to swap letting agents to their agency by using content and marketing techniques which make the agent look amazing and awesome and the most knowledgeable person in their town. Um, a lot of people actually think my job is interviewing people on the sofa. That's just a hobby of mine. No, I think that um, that is how where a lot of people will know you from the the interviews on the sofa. But I do appreciate fully that you have a lot of expertise in in a lot of different areas. And as you say, content is king, and uh, and it is uh, one of those areas where agents can differentiate themselves, I suppose. But we will look into that a little bit more later. Um, I think first of all, what we should probably do is look at setting the scene um, in terms of the current context in the property industry, the lettings industry. A lot of agents at the minute that we're talking to at Goodlaw, they do seem to be struggling with stock levels, obviously still quite a relatively high level of demand from tenants, but stock levels are quite low. But I know that you've come fully prepared and you have some statistics, basically giving a bit of context to this issue. So, yeah, let's open it up and let's have the first question is how many landlords have left the sector in, in recent years, according to your statistics, Chris? Okay, so the statistics themselves actually come from the government using uh, the census, which started off, uh, which was last in 2011. And then we've uh, used data from the Office of National Statistics, uh, the English Housing Survey, and another statistic place called NOMIS. And what we've been able to do is get lots of information and put it together. And the nutshell is this. If you go back to the, the year 2000, there were 2.03 million houses that were privately rented by 2011. That had risen to 3.62 million. The peak was 2017, where it was just under 4.7 million. And today, she ranges at about 4.4, 4.5 million. So we have lost, conservatively, 230 to 260,000 private rental properties in the last five years. I mean, it does put it into perspective, sort of seeing that that uptick and then that downtick, I suppose, of uh, of landlords as they're, as they're leaving the sector. Um, I mean, are, are there any particular areas, any cities, for example, that have any interesting statistics around that to, to pull out? Are there any particular trends in different areas um, in terms of the yeah. number of landlords? So um, Birmingham uh, has lost 4,965 private rental properties in the last five years. Uh, Manchester, just over 4,000. Liverpool's lost 3,490. What was quite surprising, Bristol was 3,332. Then you've got this, uh, Leicester didn't fare so bad. That was 2,217. Bradford, you know, 1,693. You know, these are, these are really big numbers. And the, the scary thing is, though, I mean, let's go back to Birmingham, you know, each year, Birmingham needs 3,807 new rental properties in the whole of the city to keep up with demand. Okay, 
but it has lost, that's every year, but it has lost 4,965. And those numbers are across the whole of the UK. It, 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 you know, so, I mean, the question is, why, ha why has there been a drop in, in private rental properties? Well, a big one is this, is that home ownership in that same time period has gone up by 1.06 million households which is really counterintuitive, isn't it, Susie, that you would think home ownership is reducing? Yeah, no, you would definitely. But I mean, isn't that something that the government intended, that they would be, you know, that they were setting up policies and things to try and push up home ownership? Would you, do, do these figures reflect that that's been achieved? Or does this, uh, is there some sort of something in the data that we're not, um, that isn't perhaps quite as evident? You're absolutely right. Politicians love it when home ownership rises because they believe owning a house turns individuals into model upright citizens. You know, it's one of the critical reasons why the council houses were sold off in the 1980s. Um, yeah, increasing home ownership. You know, is it good for is it good for economic recovery? I mean, there are some people. There's some people say that if people own their own home, they're less likely to move, which means that the labour market is a little less is a little less fluid. Um, why, why is it? I mean, you know, we've had help to buy, you know, this is the really weird thing, okay? In re you, you understand the phrase in real terms, in pure spending power. Yeah. Are you with me? You know, up until, okay, this was, this was up until 2020. It's gone a little bit silly. It's gone over since. But up until 2020, even in London, in real terms, your mortgage payments were 11% lower in 2020 than they were in 2007, okay? And if you go out to the rest of the country, depending on where you are, it ranges of around 30 to 40%. So even though house prices have gone up stratospherically in 17, 18, 19, and 20, because mortgage rates have been so low, the proportion of mortgage payments out of someone's salary today, well, up at, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, was lower than it was in 2007. Wow. Weird, isn't it? That is quite strange. And do we have any reason behind why that is? Simply because mortgages are a hell of a lot cheaper. Fair point. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter what the, ha it, what the house price is. It's what the, the mortgage is, you know. 95% mortgages have been readily available at low interest rates now for over a decade. And, and remember, in 2017, first-time buyers also got an exemption from stamp duty. You know, that created the perfect storm of demand. Whilst the rise in home ownership, what am I trying to say? Uh, you know, many Grantham homeowners found themselves unemployed and still having to pay mortgages in the credit crunch of 10, 11, and 12. And they were paying mortgages at 6 or 8%. Some got repossessed, some had to sell their house at a low price. So that's why home ownership didn't rise in 10, 11, 12 and 13. But then people's memories are quite short and they decided to get back into the market. Also, there's a, there are still more people owning their homes today than there ever has been. It's just that the population has been growing. The number of houses has been growing at a quicker rate. And those have been taken up by the private rented sector. Um, and yes. You know, we are turning slowly into a central European economy when it comes to our home ownership. If you roll the clock back 
to the 1980s, the done thing was you left school at 18 and you'd bought your first house by 19 or 20 because that's what everyone else was doing. Now people are waiting to their 30s and 40s and they are inheriting money from their grandparents and their parents. So if you go to Germany, most people don't actually buy their own house until they're 50. And that's only then when they inherit their money from their parents that poo pass away. So, you know, that, that you know, there's a multitude of reasons. You know, the, the Brits do love owning their own home. And the simple fact is private rentals have dropped between 230 and 260, depending on which stats you use. And home ownership has gone up by just over a million. And how much would you say that, just purely because it is in the news quite a bit at the minute with Airbnb and things like this, this short-term let in local areas, I mean, how much of an impact do you believe that this is perhaps having in terms of the number of buy-to-let landlords that are in different areas? Is that is that having an impact? You know, you're always going to get the Airbnbs around Falmouth and the, and the, and the, um, the you know, the coastal towns. You're always going to get the Airbnbs in central London. But I can't remember many people wanting to rent an Airbnb in the middle of Sleaford in rural Lincolnshire. You know, and if you think about it, Airbnb does create great results. But do do landlords really want to be going in to change beds every day? There is a market. I did some recent interviews with with the queen of um, a lady called Mary Lee Carr. And she's the boss lady of the Short Term Let Association. She did some cracking interviews. And for a small sector of the market, it is it is it is important. I think, especially in the last couple of years, we've had an awful lot of accidental landlords cash in on this market. Yeah, you know, every letting agent will tell you they will lose between five and ten percent of their rental stock every year because someone's cashing out. That's probably someone who's sixty-five or seventy bought a portfolio of properties can't be doing with the hassle, so cash is out. That ha- that's just the, the general nature of the business. But normally you have landlords coming back into the market, replacing them, so it's a net effect, and as a, of, of around zero or slight growth. But you're having uh, accidental landlords cashing in. But if you think about it, in the last two years since lockdown one came out, first-time buyers have been going crazy for buying stuff. And that, you know, the number of stock. Now, okay, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you the stock of my town. Now, I'm in Grantham in Lincolnshire, but the num- apart from, and I've done this, or my team have, in about 120 locations around the UK. And apart from four locations, one of which is Shetland, one is Hammersmith, and one is Docklands, okay? Everywhere in the UK, the numbers are almost identical in terms of percentages of proportions, okay? So here we go. The number of properties for sale in Grantham in 2007, just before the boom, was around five, 600, okay? Mm-hmm. When we had the credit crunch in 2008, the number of properties that came on, because everyone dumped their houses in the market, went up to just over 1,000. The average number in the last 15 years on the market has normally been around 380 to 390 properties for sale at any one time. And at the moment, for the last three years, the average has hovered between 135 and 155. Okay. Now, if anyone wants to know the figures for their town, uh, all you have to do is just pick up the phone to me. Uh, my number is 07950 and I'll tell you the stats for your town because I have access to these stats because I'm a property statistician. But the simple fact is this. Landlords haven't been buying because there's been hardly any stock. 
first time buyers have been buying like crazy. They're being outbid. You know, you've got 30 people coming to a house. They're all going to spend 10 or 30 grand over the asking price. It doesn't make it worthwhile for a landlord to buy. So what you've been finding is all the accidental landlords have been selling. You've had the normal churn of your normal portfolio landlords retiring, and no one's been buying because they've been outbid by the people. So we have a perfect storm of properties, you know, not so many on the market. Scary. Yeah. No, it is quite scary. But it is it is funny because from what you're saying, obviously, if mortgage in, in real terms, if the uh, mortgage payments, they are in real terms lower than they were previously, um, obviously, rents are quite high at the minute. So in theory, uh, it is quite a good time to be investing into the market and to to be looking at it as an investment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a, a big question that people are asking me at the moment is, will there be a property crash? I mean, what's your thoughts? I mean, that was one of the lists of questions that I had to potentially ask you. So uh, I think I think it seems to be uh, similar circumstances to the last time, I suppose. So it's do things. I have to disagree with you. Let Please me... do. OK, so. One of the reasons that cause a, which could, is a possible cause of a crash is the rise in interest rates, higher mortgage rates, higher interest rates means higher mortgage rates which means people have to pay a lot more on their mortgage payments. Obvious, but important to say. But the important thing is this. What the newspapers fail to tell you is that 79% of British people with a mortgage have it on a fixed rate. If you go back to uh, 2008, 2007, uh, that figure was around 45%. And just under 19 out of 20, or 93.2% of all UK house purchases in 2021 fix their mortgage. But this is another thing is this. Last year, out of the um, 27% of houses, 27.8% of houses were with 100% cash. You know, nearly one in three houses is a cash purchase. And some people say, well, okay, then, well, if, if they're on a fixed rate now, they, when the fixed rate ends in two years and interest rates are at Two, three percent, that's going to be the end of the world. But we had the mortgage market review in 2014, which stress test mortgages up to around five or six percent mortgage rates. Because they, they stress tested it on mortgage rate of Bank of England going up to three or four percent. You know, no pundit is saying that the Bank of England interest rates will go above two percent. And even if they go up to three percent, that means mortgages will be up no more than four and a half, five percent, which means the probability of a mass sell off. Because the reason we had a property crash last time is that everyone dumped their houses on the market and a classic supply and demand. We had too much supply. We didn't have that much demand because the banks weren't lending. That's why property prices crashed. But come back to what we were saying in Grantham, you know, the long term average is 380 to 400 houses on the market. At the moment, it's 137. And it's been like that for years. So unless everyone dumps their houses on the market, that's, that, that's the only reason we'll have house sale. Then another reason that people are screaming is house price to salary ratios. You know, back in 2000, the UK average house price to salary ratio was five to three. So the house price was five point was 5.3 times more than the average salary. And in the last peak, it reached 8.64. Today, we're at 8.85. So some commentators are saying, whoa, we're going to get a price price crash. But remember, the average five-year fixed rate in 2007 was 6.19, and today it's 1.79. And then we've got the third reason why people say there's going to be a, a price crash, or there was a price crash last time, was the banks recklessly lending money. You know, back in 2000, have you heard of self-certified mortgages, Susie? I have not on that point. 
Okay, self-certified mortgage. Can you believe back in 2007, 24.6 or one in four mortgages were what's called a self-certified mortgage, which basically said you could go into a bank and say, I earn 100 grand and you wouldn't have to prove it. That seems quite incredible. (laughs) That's what's called a self-certified mortgage. So when the economy got a bit sticky in 2008, People didn't have the income to pay it off. They just threw their keys back into the, the bank. Repossessions. And another one is this. You must have heard of the problems with Northern Rock back yeah. in the Red Crunch. The re- okay, those of us that have got grey hair will remember they really were the bank of last resort. You know, you could get a mortgage with a note from your mum. Please give Chris a mortgage. And they were lending 125% of the purchase price, which means if you're buying something for 300 grand, you know, they would lend you 425. <laughs> Again, incredible. That, uh... oh, oh, is it? No, 375. I've got the numbers wrong there. But, you know, in, you know, in 2017, 9.5% of mortgages were 95% and 6.1% of mortgages were 100 to 125%. That means one in six mortgages were between were ninety five and a percent and above. To give you an idea, only two point four percent of how, uh, mortgages are ninety five. The rest of them have got bigger deposits. If people have got bigger deposits in, they're less likely to throw the keys out the bank because they've got money invested. Yeah, no, it does seem like um, some of these banks though, that sort of system is being <laughs> they're setting themselves up to fail. Really, if, uh, if that was the case back then. But interestingly, you know, so that's interest rates. And yes, the cost of living will affect people. And it's going to, you know, it's not going to be good. But again, a lot of people don't remember, you know, coming, coming to inflation. Back in 2000, uh, in 1991, 1992, we had inflation peak at 8%. People forget about that. Why did inflation peak in, in two, 1991 at 8 in fact, it was just over 8% because there was a world supply crisis when it comes to goods. Does that kind of ring a bell with you now? It does ring a bell. Yeah. yeah. There you go. We had the crash of 88. Things People pulled their horns in. And then we had a mismatch of demand and supply. And that's what happened. And it's happening again today. Unfortunately. But again, this is the killer bit. You, you mentioned inflation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inflation will bring new buy-to-let landlords into the market. No, I mean, that. I mean that's obviously, as you paint that picture, so, you know, obviously comparing it to how things were previously and whether we'll have a crash again. Uh, everything that you say there does make sense. Well, interestingly, okay then, before we talk about what inflation will do to the market, shall we just have a quick talk about if there is a house price crash, what exactly will happen? Yeah. Right then, okay, here we go. So again, I've just done some numbers on my market town of Grantham, okay? You okay with that? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Right, okay. So, a typical first-time buyer terraced house in Grantham sells for £153,100. So, if you were to buy that now on the current mortgage deals, a first-time buyer would have to stump up 7,655 quid, which is your 5% deposit, Mm -hmm. and their mortgage payments would be £532 a month. Now, let's just say you had to wait two years for house prices to drop 10%, which I don't think they will, but let's say they do. Just for, for optimistic. Yeah, you know, for shits and giggles, we'll beat that one out. But come on, 
Let's just say they do drop 10% in the next 24 months. The terraced house has now gone from 153 to 137138. Okay? So you're saving a good 15 grand. Bargain, isn't it? It say? does sound like it. But let's assume that mortgage that Bank of England base rates go up to 3% by the autumn of 2023. I think that's a fair they're going up, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they're definitely on that upward trajectory there. Okay. Now, you know, when we have when we're in uncertain economic circumstances, banks tend to be a little bit more nervous with the way they lend. And in the last credit crunch, as soon as it stopped, you couldn't get a 95% mortgage. The best you could get is 10%. Yeah. Okay. So let's assume you can only get a 10% deposit, which I think is a very fair assumption if, if, the, if, the, if the economy is going a bit dodgy because banks will, will not be a bit more nervous to lend. You're going to have to raise a 10% deposit on the 138 grand, which all of a sudden is nearly 14 grand. So all of a sudden you've had to double your, your deposit. Mm. But your interest rate you're paying has gone up. So let's assume you're paying, I don't know, early fives. Early, you know, for more, if the interest rate is Bank of England is three, I think it's pretty fair to assume that it's going to be at least a couple of percent more because, again, the greater risk. So now all of a sudden, your mortgage payment has gone up to £648 a month from the original 532 And you'd need to have doubled your deposit, which means you're £1,400 a year worse off in mortgage payments. And you have to find double deposit. And here's the killer bit. Whilst you're waiting for those two years, you've spent nearly seventeen grand on, on rent waiting yeah so is it a good time to buy now or wait yeah you can you can wait you'll save 10 percent on the purchase price but you'll have to double your deposit weigh 17 this is on grant from figures i've done stats for other towns and you're going to be 1400 quid a month worse off should we talk about why inflation will bring landlords into the market very happy to do that that's um i think that that's what all agents like to hear Okay, so the demand from first-time buyers is going to be curtailed slightly. Why? Because mortgage rates are going to go up, but also a lot of bought recently. You know, a lot of that demand has been satiated. Okay, but the first one is, you know, in the medium term, property values tend to keep up with inflation. Mm -hmm. They don't beat it, but they tend to keep up with it, or they're very close. And people's, the problem with inflation is that it makes the value of your pound in your bank account not worth as much yeah there's something wonderful about a house you can touch it you can feel it you know it's not it's not a bitcoin it's not a stocks and shares it's something you can touch and feel secondly you know inflation benefits both landlords and existing homeowners because of the effect of inflation on your mortgage debt as grant you know as house prices rise over time it reduces the loan-to-value percentage of your mortgage debt. So if you had a house that was 100 grand and you borrowed 80 grand, if house prices go up by 50% in the next five years, probably mostly down to inflation, your house is now worth 150, but your mortgage doesn't go up. It still remains at 80 grand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it increases your amount of percentage of equity, which means that when you come to remortgage, you are going to get a lower rate. Yeah. And as your equity rises in your property, your fixed rate mortgage, which again, most are on a fixed rate mortgage, stay the same. And finally, inflation also helps 
landlords because rents tend to also increase with inflation. And as rents go up, whilst your fixed rate mortgage will stay the same, you are creating the prospect of greater inflation. Uh, sorry, uh, greater profit. Yeah. So really, I just do genuinely believe that the a lot that as first time buyers just ease back on the market. First, you know, landlords will be coming back in to the market, and this is what this is what letting agents need to do. They need to people people are looking for answers. They're looking for way they they want someone who's knowledgeable and knows what they're talking about. And and agents need to create content like this. And, and they need to put it out. And where do they put that out? Well, they've got their huge databases of landlords that they probably deal with. And also, it amazes me how many, how many letting agents don't go through every application and, and see who the landlord is. And then go and spend £3 on a land registry certificate. And then why don't you write articles? Or you could outsource them. Sales plug alert. Um, this is what I do. You know, the articles I've just written now is what I write for letting agents around the UK. You could do it yourself or you can outsource it because you're too busy sorting out landlords and tenants. But create great content, which is of interest to people, and they will be attracted to you and listen to you. They don't care how many houses you have under management. And they certainly don't care whether you know the difference between a Section 8 and a Section 21 notice. I mean, let me prove it to you, Susie. If you were in the unfortunate circumstances of being in a car accident and you wanted to get compensation and and an advert came up and said have you been in an accident which solicitor should you use more importantly should you use the law of tort or the law of negligence is that going to attract you to a letter uh, to a a solicitor i would not know where to turn on that particular point but uh... you just want someone to do the job have you been caught in an accident and need compensation ringers i'd much prefer that more direct approach there you go this is where we this is where we go wrong as an industry. You see, most letting agents are detail orientated perfectionists. And you need those skills. You need those skills to do lettings. God forbid you wouldn't let a, a an estate agency valuer anywhere near a lettings department, they'd ruin it in minutes. But those 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 deep that detail orientated perfectionism which you need because if you don't do it you go to prison is the same thing that holds letting agents back with attracting landlords if you want someone to be attracted to you you don't need to prove how professional you are or your knowledge of law the only people that are going to be you're going to go oh yeah they've done a good job is other letting agents and that's not what you want. All a landlord wants is someone to let the house, make sure the property don't get trashed, and they get paid the money. Mm. Now, every letting agent says, if you just get the landlord to come and talk to me, I'll get their business. I might have to wait six months before the tenant hands a notice in, but I'll build a relationship. That's fair, isn't it? Because it's a people business. So instead of – but you talking about what you've let or your market share or what – you know, or the difference between a Section 8 and a Section 21 notice – it's dull as dishwater to your potential clients. That's not going to attract people to you. But talk about why they should be buying and why if they don't buy, they'll miss out. Now, all of a sudden, that is so attractive to people. I mean, you know, one of the other things I strongly recommend letting agents do to attract landlords is every single week going on to Rightmove, going, typing in your town, 
and picking the best buy-to-let deal there is to buy. Now, most letting agents could do that with their eyes closed in nanoseconds. But this is the bit that screws most people's heads up. I want you to post that on your social media. But this is the bit, is the property needs to be on the market with a competitor. Whoa, Chris, I can't. I can't sell another agent's house. Well, why not? But I'm going to lose a fee. Well, how can you lose a, something you never had? But if you go out there with the act of saying, this is genuinely the best buy-to-let deal, it is on the market with my competitor. If you want to view it, go and view it through them. You know, people are going to say, well, Chris, I'm going to lose the, I'm going to lose the, the, the they'll go with that other agent. You never had it in the first place. So you can't lose anything. But if you constantly chuck out great buy-to-let deals that are on the market with other agents, people will fo- landlords will follow you because you're talking about the stuff they're interested in. You're attracting them to you. And you also talk about the property market with the stuff that I've just been talking about during this podcast. And you chuck it out on social media and you chuck it out on email. And you'll become the most interesting person to any landlord in your town you become attractive and people are attracted to things that they're attracted to because they're interesting. It's educational and entertaining. You know, you mentioned at the start of this interview, I do the sofa chats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think I care about the topics that are on my sofa? I'd like to think that you find them interesting, but I suppose it should be more interesting to your audience than you. Exactly. Shall I tell you what interests me? My wife, my dog. I like drinking craft beer. I collect collect, uh, antiques. I uh, love drinking craft beer. I'm a round tabler and a Freemason. I like those. And I also like talking to interesting people. You're obviously in the right job for that then. (laughs) But that's the thing. The sofa chats, I don't need to go out and sell my services. Most people don't even know what I sell. But what I do is I create content. I'm a, I put my money where my mouth is and I create content which is of interest to my, my potential clients, which means they become interested in me because if, inter- if you create stuff that interests them, they become interested in you. If someone becomes interested in you, they get to know you. When they get to know you, they get to like you. When they get to like you, they trust you. No yeah. like and trust. I don't, but, you know... Most people listen to this, know me, and a lot of people pick the phone up. So obviously they trust me, but they've never met me, but they feel like they know me. Yeah. Okay. I suppose it's all about buying into the person, isn't it, as well? It's, it, that is That's important. Right. It's about, it's, people say it's a people business, but then when you look at their marketing, it's nothing about the people. You want someone to be interested in you, you have to be interested in them first. Me, mm-hmm. I'd rather talk about drinking craft beer, collecting a certain type of antiques, and my dog and my wife. Those are also very interesting topics. <laughs> they're not interesting. To, they're interesting to me, but they're not interesting to you, are they? I find I quite like craft beer as well, but I do take your point. I do take your point. I suppose it's it's kind of you know some some things, some aspects of being an agent. They're just what's expected. It's you know sort of like you say the legislation, that side of things, the cat whether you're able to manage your property and things. In theory, yeah. that should be sort of the basics. That should be the base of what an agent should know. Whereas if you go over and above and really directly address what yes. the landlord wants to know about their investment and so on, then you are obviously going to be able to attract more to you um, as long as you're putting that information out there in the right way. Too right. 
We'll be right back after this message. Do you want to stop wasting time on admin and jumping between different platforms to get just one job done? Do you want to focus on your agency's business goals instead? From automated offer letters and e-signing to online referencing and even rent collection, Goodlord can help your agency get rid of the admin heavy parts of your lettings job in one integrated platform, so you can refocus on your business and your customers. Head to goodlord.co today to learn more. Goodlord, it's just that good. What would you say you're talking about content and so on? Obviously, you talked about your sofa chats and things like that. I mean, what are to you the best formats to use, the best medium to use, the best way to get out there? There's only three ways you can communicate with a human being unless you're married. Okay, there's a fourth. Okay, but let's do the normal ones. You can communicate in the written word. You can communicate with audio, which is what we're doing now, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Or the final way of communicating is visual, which is face-to-face or video or TV, okay? The fourth one is, is ESP because the wife always knows what I'm, what I'm thinking before I even think it myself. But again, that, that's just, you know, that's, that's most relationships. But just in that, the three main ways, written word, audio, visual, okay? Now, I'm a big fan of video, Okay. There's people have issues about doing video, not looking stupid, um, derogatory comments, that sort of thing, which, again, I won't go. I've done plenty of videos on that. I won't go down that rabbit hole because I could be down there for hours. But what is also interesting is this, is that I strip my audio off my videos and put it onto a podcast. and My podcast gets four or five times more listens than my videos. No, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, with news agents as well, that is something that we tend to do. We'll tend to record it as a video if we can, a podcast where we can. And then obviously, you can then write a blog around it as well. So you can get quite a lot of information, quite a lot of content just from one media and uh, repurposing it. I mean, you know, there's an app called Anchor, as in thing that goes out of a ship that ties it to the floor, seabed. Okay. And if you download that, that app, you could have, you could set up a podcast. So you go on to Anchor, it's totally free, and you say, what's your podcast called? So I'm in Grantham, so I could type in the word Grantham Property Market Podcast. Notice I use the word Grantham Property Market and not the name of my estate or letting agency. No one wants to listen to Chris Letting's agency's podcast. They want to, so you put the title of the topic in the, in the okay, and then you put it, upload a picture, which most people have got Canva, so they could drop a photo of Grantham, put the word Grantham Property Podcast on the, upload that. You type in a couple of lines about, this is a podcast about the Grantham property market. Again, change the word Grantham to whatever your town is, okay? You press a button, and within two minutes, you that podcast will be on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. How do you then record a podcast? There's this thing on iPhones and other ones called audio memos or something like that. And you basically, you put the phone on, press record and talk. And at the end, you press stop. And then you go to the anchor bit and you say, upload that file. It uploads it. And hey, presto, there's a podcast. But what if I, what if you go, uh, or, you know, you, you, you mess your words up? Well, 
I bet you a pound to a penny if you listen back to this, this podcast now, the amount of errs and ums we've done. No, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, just part of conversation. I just gave a very good example there, <laughs> just, just in that last uh, sentence. I mean, I, 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 I do, um, for my YouTube, I, um, I do, um, there you go, I'm doing herbs now. I do, um, <laughs> go again. <laughs> so you made us think about it now. We're just going to be doing that no, for the rest of the I podcast. do captions, okay? <laughs> I do captions. Now on YouTube, YouTube will actually caption it automatically, but it's computer generated. And most of my five-minute videos have about 14 to 16 ums and ers in. But no one spots them in real life. Just publish it. Stop worrying about what people think about you. Or, you know, is anyone going to challenge me? What I would say is this. I'll make an offer because you know I'm a big fan of Good Lord. Anyone listening to this podcast, if you're listening this far, you deserve a bloody medal. But... If anyone ever makes a derogatory comment on any social media platform and you don't know what to say, you WhatsApp it to me. My mobile is 07950147572, and I'll give you a, a, an answer. But, Susie, let me just quickly just give you what the technique that you should use if you, if you ever get a derogatory comment. Would you like that? Yes, that sounds interesting. I'd love to hear that. Okay, so step one. It's a one, two, three step process. Step one is you thank and partially agree. Dear Jim, always mention their name. They love that. Dear Jim, I must admit, when I listened, when I heard about this information, I, will, I too was also surprised as well. Step two, blow them out the water with science. Unfortunately, these are, this is the information and we do disagree with you. I, you know, I have, because of this, this, this and this. And then finally, you ask them a question. So, you know, interestingly, I'm, um, my clients send me messages, and we've been doing some articles recently about um, the, the, the lack of rental properties. And a few people have come back and said, you know, uh, someone's made a derogatory comment about there not, not being, you know, you know boo-hoo for landlords. And you basically start off with saying, yes, you know, it is really difficult at the moment for tenants to, to to, to save up a deposit. But the simple fact is, is that the number of uh, council houses has reduced by 2.6 million houses in the last 40 years. And they've been replaced by 1.6 housing million housing association properties. But the simple fact is, is that that's not enough. Now, thankfully, the private rental sector has stepped in over the years and improved the number of rental properties. And also looking at the English housing survey, the quality of those housing, it now beats council housing hand over fist. So the question is, Jim, if the council, the local authority were to start building more houses, which are obviously quite expensive, where which which council department would you take money from to pay for them? Now that's such a great way to flip that argument, and you're just being completely using completely legitimate uh, statistics there to to prove your point and support so, your point. Yeah. So when anyone ever makes a derogatory comment. You shouldn't worry about it. You should actually say, oh, my word, thankfully, we've got something now. And, and also, go on. I was just going to say, it also gives you the opportunity to show that you do know what you're talking about as well. And in this particular scenario as well, that you're supporting the industry and sort of talking about the difficulties that landlords as well as tenants face, showing your empathy and things. So, You're not going to persuade that person. 
But just like nine, 99% of people that go on social media don't post, like, or comment. They just, they just watch. Therefore, yeah. yes. Okay? You are posting to prove to the thousands of people that do see the stuff but don't comment that you actually care. It's a bit like going to TripAdvisor. And you know the hotel doesn't reply back. What do we think of that hotel? Yeah, we're, we're not too happy with that hotel. <laughs> And or when they do reply back, it's a cut and paste. But if someone's actually gone to the time and trouble, you go, oh, there it goes. Now, I suppose it's some of these different levels of using content, I guess. I mean, uh, if you're commenting and things and getting that visibility out there as well as, uh, you know, even if you don't have the capacity to be doing blogs or videos and podcasts and things too, it's just having that visibility across social media as well. Yeah. Look, the magic thing is this. Do videos if you can, but if not, do a podcast. But if not, do the written word. It doesn't really matter. But the simple fact is this, is that people's eyeballs are on their mobile phones and on their computer screens. Okay? We all get that weekly annoying text message saying you've been on your phone for two or three hours a day. Normally it's more, isn't it? Four or five. And people say they haven't got time. Well, you spent four or five times looking at pictures of cats and TikTok. Why couldn't you do a video? Oh, but I look silly and stupid. Or I might have to do 10 takes. Yeah, do 10 takes. Yeah. So what? Okay. Does it have to be perfect? No. But just get it out there. Produce great content, play the long game, and you will win. Yeah. I think that that's a that's an incredibly positive statement, and I think that's possibly a good one to to round off our conversation. Really, I feel like we've gone through a proper a full story there about what's going on in the industry. Um, you know why why it's still quite a positive uh, market out there for for landlords if they're interested enough to learn more and to to listen to their agents, and hopefully agents will listen to your advice and actually make sure that they are putting that information out there so that their landlords are aware of the opportunities that are available. Certainly, and I just want to say on behalf of the industry, thank you to everyone at Good Lord for the content that you check out. You know, boys and girls out there in state agency land, go and check the, the, the Good Lord hub, the marketing hub. They've got so much great content, stats and everything that you can use in your own marketing. It's free of charge. I'm not being paid to say this. I am a massive fan of Good Lord, but they haven't paid, never paid me a penny. I just love the bits and what they do. So thank you, Susie, for what you do and everyone at Good Lord for what you do for the industry. No, well, thank you again. And you're, you're completely correct that obviously we do have a lot of content out there that, uh, you know, whether it is with Good Lord or elsewhere that uh, that agents can can use statistics about the industry and so on. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of content out there that uh, agencies can use and be using it to attract all these landlords that will hopefully be coming into the sector after listening to this podcast and realising that it's a, it's a good time to be to be investing. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you for your interest. And um, I wish you well, Susie. Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Chris, and hopefully we'll get the chance to do another podcast again soon.